sometimes you just got to let it out, you know, because God is so good. He's so awesome. And I just love that because, you know, when we're talking about worshiping the Lord, when we're talking about uh, children being baptized, when we're talking about praising his name, he and he alone is worthy of our praise. And, um, you know, it's, it's crazy, but I, I love the Lord. I love him with all my heart. I know what he's done for me. And if you don't know Jesus and you're here today, my prayer is that you would meet Jesus before you leave here today. And I don't mean in a bad way, I mean in a great way. But um, let's, uh, let's look at our scripture today. We're going to be in Romans 12. And if you have your scripture and want to open up to that, just go ahead and open up or scroll or however you do it. But, you know, I'm a visual person. I'm a visual person. And if you want to, me to grasp something, if you want me to understand it, uh, I often have to see a picture in my mind. And, you know, whether you're, you're doing a nice buffet display or whatever, you kind of got to envision it in your mind before you do that. I know when we were building and getting ready to construct the pavilion out here, the Bowen Pavilion, um, I wanted somebody to take me outside and to, and to walk off the, the yardage or the feet and, and show me where this thing is going to be. And, and, and in order to do that, that way I could get a better picture in my mind of what that's going to look like. You know, in a similar way, if you want to do something unique in your wedding or, or something like that, uh, you know, I want to come to the sanctuary and, and plan it and, and look at it and show me what you're talking about so that I can wrap my mind around it. And usually, once I see it, I get it, okay? I understand what, what, what your desire is. But I also find that I'm also this way with my faith. I mean, I find myself asking when I'm reading God's word and other things, I'm reading it and I'm like, but what does this mean practically? Like, what does this mean for me? How do I put this into practice? And, and, and you know, I, I want to flesh things out. I, I, I really, uh, I struggle when I read things, books that are, you know, long on theory and very short uh, on, you know, practical application of that theory. And um, this morning I, I, I give you this background because I believe that Paul is writing Romans 12 for people like me, who like to have it fleshed out, who like to have it, you know, just tell me what I need to do. And, and you know, it's interesting because in verse 9 of chapter 12, Paul gives us the very general principle. And what it says in verse 9 is it says, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And then he goes on from there, and in the verses that follow, he gives us specifics on what this means, how to flesh this out. And, and I, I love that because he draws us a picture of what sincere love looks like. Just a, a, very, a very bold picture here. Read with me if you will. We're going to be in Romans 12. I'm going to start with verse 10, and I'm going to read down through verse 13. It says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing 
hospitality. Lord, I ask that you would just honor your word. The Holy Spirit, I thank you for your words. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would even now just touch our lives, touch our hearts. Father, show us exactly what you desire us to, to, to grasp hold of in this passage. And I pray, Father, that you would just use it uh, to help us to grow in our, in our faith and, and, and to grow spiritually in you. But I pray, Father, that you... Uh, would be honored and glorified in everything that we say, think, and do. Lord, we love you and guide us in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's kind of easy to miss how these verses fit together. And, and I say that because I've missed it for years. And, and I'm, I'm looking at this, you know, in, in the Greek text, Paul, uh, he strings together nine phrases here. And, and uh, each one is, is in the, what they call the dative case. And I know your mind may be thinking, okay, I'm checking out right here. I'm drifting away, but I'll be quick, okay? So this is like Paul is saying here, let love be sincere, hating what is evil and holding tight to what is good by, by devoting yourselves to one another in brotherly love, by honoring one another, by doing these things that he lists, and these things are all practical illustrations. He's given us something to do, so that, a picture, so that we can understand exactly what we are to do following up on this principle. And, and I love the fact that he gives us a list. And uh, here, here's his list of what sincere love looks like. It, it's be affectionate. Be affectionate to, to one another, like family. Like family. Giving each other priority in honor. Being fervent in, in what we do. Being passionate about what it is that God has called us to. And maintaining our, our spiritual intensity. The zeal. Being zealous for that and, and, and really desiring that. Maintaining that spiritual intensity. Seizing your opportunities for serving the Lord. Because once that opportunity goes by, you may never get that opportunity again. And so what you want to do is as those opportunities to serve the Lord come your way, you need, to, you need to jump on that. You need to take care of that and do that. He also says rejoicing in hope. I mean, there's a lot that we can get depressed about. But there's a whole lot we can get excited about. It's not yet here that we don't see. Because one of these days, I'm going to look Jesus, my Savior and Lord, face to face. Man, what a day that's going to be. Meeting tribulation with courage, persevering in prayer and sharing what you have in helping others. All of these things are the list here of, of what Paul says sincere love looks like. That's what he's telling us. And this is important stuff in our walk with Christ and with each other. You know, I came across this recently, and I, I loved it. There was a man, he was walking down the street, and he walks by this, this used bookstore, and he, he's looking in the window, and, and, he, and he sees this book with the title, How to Hug. And he was taken by the title, and, and you know, being a, a little bit of a romantic nature, he thought, I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to buy that book. Well, to his annoyance... He discovered that it was the third volume of an encyclopedia and it covered the subjects how to hug. 
He thought it was something else, but it wasn't. And, and you know, the church can be just kind of like this. I mean, everyone knows that the church is a place where, where love ought to be manifested, that we ought to be able to see the love that we have for one another. And many people have come to church hoping to find a manifestation, a demonstration of love, only to discover an encyclopedia on theology. They were wanting the love. They were looking for the love. But maybe that's not what we've showed them. See, in the verses that follow, we see practical instruction as to how to hug and how to love sincerely. And, and today we're just going to look at the first five and, and next week we'll look at the, the balance, the other four. But uh, today we're just going to focus in on, on verses 10 and 11. And, and, and so the first one, that I, point that I want to make this morning is in verse 10. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And you know, it's interesting that Paul would use um, the, the, the word here that means a family kind of love. A family kind of love. And in other words, we're to love each other as part of the same family. Love each other as part of the same family. Now think about the implications of this reality. First, it means that our love should be resilient. Our love should be resilient. I mean, when we're dealing with others, I'm being brutally honest here. When we're dealing with others, we tend to love as long as another person seems worthy of our love. If they don't seem worthy of our love, we don't waste our time, whether they're family or not. But you see, we need to be resilient. Family love is different. At least it should be. I mean, when you're part of a family, you love someone even though they make mistakes. Even if your child was guilty of a horrible crime, you still will be at their side pleading for mercy. Even though they may be annoying, some of your family members, we defend our family and we say things like, well, that's just the way they are. And we defend them and we, we try to stick up for them. And even though sometimes change happens very slowly in our families, you know, with family members, we remain ever hopeful, and we're quick to see that just even that slightest glimmer of hope that things are improving. And we look for that, and we desire that. And even though others feel there's nothing good in that person, when a person is part of your family, you work hard to see those redeeming qualities in them. You want them to succeed, and even when no one else sees those qualities, as a parent, as a family member, you see those things. Because no one is all bad and no one is all good. The dividing line runs right down through our heart. So we're not as bad as we think we are, but we're not as good as we think we are either. But our love should be resilient. I mean, how many times, how many times have you seen people in the church get mad about something that someone did and immediately decide they didn't want to have anything else to do with that person or maybe even the church. Folks, that's not being resilient. That's not loving no matter what. 
That's making your love very conditional on whether or not you are pleased in that. But see, family love recognizes and accepts the weaknesses of others. We don't gloss over evil, but we're not surprised by it either. See, my point is this, is we need to grow up and mature in the Lord. So that the first sign of conflict, we don't turn tail and run. But we say, you know what? I'm loving you today, even though it may be hard to love you, I'm gonna love you today. It's a choice that we make based on the commands of Jesus Christ. You know, when Christians understand this family love, there's gonna be a realization that, you know what? We're walking on this pilgrim road together. That we need each other. That we're all part of the family and we, we all need one another. And at times... One or the other of us will stumble. We may fall. We may even get lost. And folks, it's at that point that we need the other person not to kick us, not to abandon us, not to slander us, not to ignore us. We need them to help us get back up. We need them to help us get back on our feet. But a lot of times we pass judgment and we may not even know all the circumstances. Well, they weren't any good anyway. I didn't like the way they talked to me the last time they talked to me. Well, maybe they had something on their mind. Maybe there was something, you know, burning the barn down and they had to get after it. But we have to exercise that kind of grace and, and resilience towards each other. And I hope that we are developing as a body of Christ at Memorial like that. People that are resilient Second, I would say that we need, we are to be this way not only for those in our church, but those who are in other churches as well. I mean, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should be quick to defend, to support, and to encourage any believer. Because if a person is a follower of Jesus Christ, they're my brother, they're my sister, no matter what church they attend. No matter what country they live in, no matter what language they speak, no matter what color their skin is, or what their socioeconomic group they're from, we're all related, and we all have Jesus Christ in common. See, I realize that we may be closer to some members of our family, maybe more than others, and folks, that's natural. We hang out with people that that we enjoy being around. We hang out with people that are like us. We hang out with people that that have that commonality. But they're still family. And you know, when a crisis comes, we should rally around one another. When when somebody is, is, you know, face down in the mud, we need to pick them up and help them out and and, and get them cleaned up and help them get back on track rather than than kick them or, or walk on by. You know, when a member of our family is attacked, the rest of us should rise to their defense. I mean, that's what we do as family. I mean, we may disagree on things, but our disagreement should not divide us. Our love for each other should be greater than anything we face. Our love for each other ought to be greater than anything we face. 
So be devoted to one another. The second thing Paul looks at here is he says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And secondly, give preference to one another in honor. In other words, honor one another above yourselves. And it's difficult to know exactly what Paul means in this. But I like the insight of one of the commentators who concluded, he said this, he said, the exhortation does not demand of me that I deem every fellow member to be in every respect wiser and abler than I am myself. But it asks that in humble-mindedness, I count my fellow member to be better than myself. In In other words, we put others before ourselves. See, a Christian knows that his motives are not always pure and holy. This is a kind of knowledge where it causes us to utter the prayer, oh Lord, forgive my good deeds. What happens is we get puffed up with pride. We do something good and we think, oh, look at me. Oh, I'm all that. And we're not. We're not better. We're redeemed. You know, sometimes, on the other hand, the Christian has no right to regard the motives of their brother or sister as evil. I mean, and, and a lot of times what happens is when, when something happens to us, we immediately begin to pl- place blame on someone else. Rather than saying, maybe I got a problem that I need to deal with, we want to say, why are they being ugly to me? And, 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 you know, it, it, it's something there because we don't know their motives. But a lot of times what happens is, is we jump to a conclusion and we say, well, they must just be evil. There must be a problem there or there's something going on. And so we judge without proper discernment. I would say unless a consistently evil pattern is clearly evident in the lives of others, their outward Good deeds have to be ascribed to good and noble purposes. I mean, a lot of times if it's something that we are jealous of, we may try to bring it down. We may try to poo-poo the idea or whatever. But it's like, maybe they do have a pure heart. And I would say we need to give them the benefit of the doubt. See, it follows that the child of God who has learned to know himself sufficiently... So that at times he would feel utterly inclined to the cry of the public and Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And sometimes we may even have the same cry that the Apostle Paul had. Oh, wretched man that I am. But still we need to regard others as better than ourselves. Folks, this is a crucial insight. And this is huge. Because the person who truly loves sees the inconsistency in their own life. They recognize that they're not all that, while at the same time giving their brother and sister the benefit of the doubt. I mean, to honor others above ourselves then would mean something like this, assuming the best rather than the worst about someone else's intentions. Assuming the best. Being quick to look for the good in others and being willing to praise them. Taking the time to to check out all the facts 
before making any kind of judgment about a situation. Refusing to belittle someone. Being concerned with the feelings of another rather than just your own feelings. And I would say also refusing to gossip. Because what happens is, is when we talk about other people, it doesn't lower them in someone else's eye always. Many times it lowers us. And so be careful about that. But this is what it means to honor. We assume the best. We look for the good. We, we take the time to check out all the facts. We don't belittle. We don't gossip. And we consider their feelings above our own. You know, there's a marriage, out by, a marriage video out by Gary Smalley. It's on YouTube. You can look it up. I think it's called the marriage video or something like that. But he talks about the need for honor in the home. And he uses an illustration. I thought this was a great one. He had this uh, broken down violin. And there was a group of people that he was doing this, this teaching for. And, and the neck of the violin was, was basically broken over and it was just hanging by the strings that were connected to the bass. And, and he handed this violin to the audience and asked them to look at it. And so they're passing it around, they're looking at it. There's nothing extraordinary about this broken down instrument. And as the violin was being passed, Smalley, he, he remarks, he said, don't forget to look on the inside of the base of the violin where you will see the name of the maker, a guy by the name of Stradivarius. And at the sound of the name Stradivarius, there was kind of a collective gasp in the room, a gasp with wonder. And Smalley had called attention to their gasp, and this is what he said. He said, when we see the members of our own family, we should see stamped on their forehead, Stradivarius. He said, each time we see each other, there is a sense which we should gasp with wonder and amazement because they are made in the image of God. We tend to put people down. We tend to think that we're so much better. But folks, this is what it means to honor the other. It means to see and respect their value as a person. It means turning away from our own self-absorption, being absorbed by ourselves, and, and, and to see the beauty and wonder that God has placed in someone else. To so say, wow, you are made in the image of God. Wow. It may not look like we think it should look. It may be broken. It may be of, of very little value in this world. But your life and mine, God considers valuable. Valuable enough to send his son to a cruel death on the cross. He would rather die for us than spend eternity without us. I mean, that's what it means to honor. We see that each other are made in the image of God. I got to move on. He says there in verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence. 
not lagging behind in diligence. You know, this passage warns us about the tendency for us to get lazy in our relationships. You know, these Greek words that he uses here tell us to not be lazy or hesitant in our labor, in our work, in our job. Let me illustrate this. See, many of us have worked hard at uh, some point or another at getting into shape and exercising. I want to say round is a shape, okay? But we work at getting into shape and exercising for a day or two. And the first day we work out for 30 minutes to an hour and oh man, we're invigorated. We feel confident about our steps to change our life. And then we wake up and it's day two. And we ache and we thought getting back in, into shape was a little less attractive. And then on day three, we hurt even more. We got to push through the pain. We wonder what in the world were we thinking when we dove into the exercise program and we decide that we better give our body a break before we exercise again. And so days and months and weeks and years later, we start over again. Folks, the same thing, that same scenario can happen in our spiritual life. We start out fervent for the Lord. Man, we're excited about it. We're, we're pumped up. Man, it's, oh man, it's, it's time. And, and, and we read the Bible for hours and we spend time devouring his word and we listen to Christian radio and we spend time in prayer and we're, we're, we're so excited about it. And in a short amount of time, more than we would, a shorter amount of time, more than we would want to admit our Bible is now dusty and our prayers are labored and the service to his kingdom slides way down the list of our priorities. See, a person who is sincere in love maintains his or her enthusiasm. They maintain that. This means we don't give up and we don't get lazy. We don't get lazy in our private lives. We don't get lazy in our relationships with our wives or with our children. We don't get lazy in the work that we do. And we don't get lazy in our ministries, in the church. See, each of these areas, it's easy for us to get lazy and to start taking things for granted. And when we do this, when we get lazy and start taking things for granted, our work, our relationships, our spiritual growth all suffer. That's why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 and following, he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way... <laughs> that you may win. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. 
Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. (laughs) I box in such a way, not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified. Folks, this is huge. Paul was not someone who enjoyed pain. He had a lot of it in his life, but he wasn't someone who enjoyed it. He didn't enjoy humiliation. But he understood that if we don't keep working hard, if we don't continually do a personal inventory of our lives and our relationships, we have a tendency to get lazy. Not lagging behind in diligence. He says fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And I'm going to combine both of those into four and five here. Be fervent in spirit, but also serving the Lord. And these last two phrases are very similar to each other. And they, they have this, uh, and even to the previous phrase, And this leads me to understand that Paul is underscoring. He is underlining what he is saying to us. The importance of diligence and enthusiasm in our spiritual lives. Because Paul seems to emphasize that a person who knows how to love is a person who knows that love comes from God and is motivated by love for God. It's that vertical relationship. His love comes to us and in that we reciprocate that and give that love back to him. I think this is big because our spiritual lives and our interpersonal lives are intertwined. Being fervent in the Lord helps us to keep our priorities in order. Because when we're right with the Lord, we will more likely be right with each other. But a lot of times when there's a problem here, we notice the problem here. So if you have problems here with other people, maybe you need to go back and look at this relationship here. Because when you get this relationship worked out, these relationships won't be a problem. You know, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and following Jesus says this he says I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot I wish that you were cold or hot so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold I will spit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich And have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, it's a very sobering thing to realize that most people involved in the church today are people who, quite frankly, are lukewarm. We've lost our zeal. We're coasting. But when we're talking about sincere love, we're talking about something that is supernatural. 
If we are drifting from God, we will be drifting from the ability to love. If we are taking our spiritual walk with God for granted, our relationships are going to suffer. Because the two go hand in hand. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, if we want to be a community of people that is known by its love for each other, then we have to be enthusiastic about serving the Lord. We need to pursue the Lord with energy and diligence. And when we pursue God in this way, he will renew us. And he will help us as we love each other. As I wrap this up, I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up here. But I want to submit this to you today. When the people of God truly love, the world takes notice. When they recognize a difference between us and them, it gives them pause to stop and take notice. When we just look like another lobbying group, we're pretty easy to dismiss. When we look like any other business, it's easy for people to overlook us. When we try to be entertaining as the secular world, we seem like one more option among many. But when we love, when we love, we are truly love one another with a sincere and, and caring and sacrificial, serving, spiritually vital way. The world will stop and take notice. See, people want to know who these lovers really are and where this love comes from. And when they do, we will be able to introduce them to Jesus, the lover of our souls. This morning, I want you to take just a little bit of time and do an inventory of your heart and your life. Do you see a, a family resemblance in your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it time that we move past the petty differences and focus instead on the important things that bind us together? Folks, persecution is coming. It may not be here yet, but it's coming. And part of my job is to prepare you for that so that you will be ready, so that you will not bend, that you will not bow, you will not shrink back when the persecution comes. And so we have to decide what those things are that bind us together. And I will tell you in a nutshell, it is the love of Jesus Christ. He is the one that we stand for. He is the one that we live for. He is the one who called us, and he is the one who redeemed us. As you look at others, do you see Stradivarius stamped on their forehead? Better yet, do you recognize that all of those you come into contact with are all people who have been created in God's image? We need to learn to, to gasp at the wonder about us. 
When we see a brother or sister in Christ knowing that they've been redeemed for all eternity, that should make us giddy inside. We should be like, yes, that's my brother, that's my sister. Are you getting lazy in your relationships? Do you take other people for granted? Just assuming that they're always going to be there, always serving you. What about in your spiritual life? Have you become lukewarm in your faith? Because if so, it's time to stir up the fire, stir up the embers that once burned bright. It's time to serve in a new way. Make an effort to learn something new about the Lord. Because if you will seek him, you will find him. And when you do find, others will notice by the fact of the way that you treat them differently. See, it's my hope that we are beginning to see what it means to love with a genuine love. Christian love is not a, an emotion that makes us feel warm and fuzzy. It is a consistent, deep, enduring, resilient, needs to be cultivated, and it needs to be maintained. And once we understand what we're supposed to do, it's time to begin putting it into practice. You know, once we know better, Hopefully we do better. But that's on us. If we know to do better and we don't do better, that's on us. Because God has given the instruction from his word. You know, it all begins, it all begins with a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never acknowledged him as the Lord of your life, as the one in charge, as the boss, as the one who gave his life for you. All I can tell you today is you need to acknowledge him as your Savior and Lord. Scripture tells us that one day, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I would whole much rather we do that now, voluntarily, than be forced to do it later on and yet without him. If you've never done that, I invite you. I'm gonna be standing down here at the front. If you wanna acknowledge him as your savior and Lord, I would love to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you wanna, you're a believer and you wanna follow the Lord in baptism, you come. Maybe you're just taking this inventory and you're realizing something's not right. He's talking about me. I am lukewarm. I need to stir that fire up and stoke it a bit so that it doesn't go out so that my love for the Lord will be the love that is driving and moving me in ways that I can only imagine. But I recognize when we belong to him, it's his love that motivates us. We need more of that and less of us. You come, whatever you wanna do. If you wanna come and pray, you come and pray. I'm gonna pray, and after I get done praying, I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, and then we'll, we'll sing together. But that's your time to respond to God's word.
Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. Father, I pray that these verses would be true of us. That our love would be a sincere love.